Thanks for listening to the Healthy Church Podcast with Larry Barker and Drew Klein. The Healthy Church Podcast is an honest conversation about what it means to be part of a healthy church. There are no perfect churches because they're all filled with imperfect people led by imperfect leaders. But by God's grace, we can begin to dialogue about what changes can be made in our lives as leaders and in the churches we serve in order to better love God and His people. For more information and other resources, go to HealthyChurchPodcast.com. Hey everybody, thanks again for listening to the Healthy Church Podcast. My name is Drew Klein, here with Larry Barker. And Larry, we had such a good time last time with our friend Steve. We asked him just to stay and us do another podcast if we could. Uh, So we're excited to have a very special guest again with us today, Dr. Steve Crowley. Steve, thanks for joining us again today. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you. Good to be back with you guys. Yeah, I actually think we could probably do with him seven or eight podcasts. Seven or eight at least. But we're not going to do that to him. We'll do we'll do this one, and then maybe another topic will come up down the road, and we'll uh, visit that and invite him again. But yeah, excited to have you back, Steve. Thanks for your willingness to uh, to do this and for us to stretch you a little bit on your time schedule because we're going to talk margin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're going to take advantage of the margin that you have set aside. No, we're joking, but. Uh, that's a good that's a good segue Larry because you know I think one of the things that leadership books and leadership gurus talk a lot about is this conversation of margin that's right why is that so important for leadership Steve yeah well first of all I guess let's define our terms you know what what is margin we, we talk about it a lot like you say in leadership circles but um, you know margin is really just the amount available beyond what is actually needed it would be extra the reserves and and the thing is, we see margin uh, often in everyday life, uh, just, just in, in the little things, because it's necessary, whether it be margin in the books that we read, we see margin on the side of the highways, uh, you know, we see margin in the first class section of our, of our airplanes, not so much in the, uh, in the, <laughs> the second class, but, but we see margin in our personal space often, yet we don't build margin into our, our lives, hmm. and there's a price to pay for that, um, whether it be in our schedules, uh, with our finances, if, if we don't build margin into our emotions. Um, we, we just often fail to live with adequate margin, and, and you know there is a price to pay for that because I would say, first of all, relationships happen in margin, both with God and with the people that we love. And I think it was Andy Stanley um, who had, who said that, you know, we're not made as machines or producers. Right. God made us as relational beings. And relationships happen in margin. And so that that's the first reason I think it is just of paramount importance for leaders to have margin so that we've got adequate time with the Lord and then adequate time with people, which is who Jesus came and died for. But a second thing I would mention with regard to leadership uh, and why margin is so very important is that when margin shrinks, our, our stress levels go up. I mean, think about it. If you are running late to an appointment, the closer you get to the time of that appointment and the more late you are, the more your blood pressure goes up. That's right. The more touchy you become and, uh, and it just causes anxiety. Uh, if there's too much month at the end of the money, 
I mean, you know, there's no margin, there's no financial margin and the stress levels go up. If, if you get into a discussion or maybe an argument, whether it be with a, a church member or whether it be with your wife, if you've let your emotional uh, tank run empty, if there's not a lot of margin there, there will be prices to pay. You're likely to lose your temper because suddenly when margin shrinks, shrinks the anxiety goes up. And I would say this to uh, Drew and Larry, and I think this is critical, critical um, for the ministers that will be listening. And it has to do with moral margin. I'm afraid that far too often in ministry, we do not allow for enough moral margin in our lives. We know that Satan's going to attack, do everything he possibly can to pull down uh, the leaders of the church. And instead of walking as close to the edge, morally speaking, as, as we can, we need, to, we need to keep margin between us and potential sin. Because, I mean, you guys know how many ministries have been destroyed because moral margin shrank and, and one gave in to the enemy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, when stress levels go up, then, um, then when margin shrinks, stress levels go up. But also, I think when margin shrinks, as it, as it pertains to leadership— uh, often our focus begins to narrow. Due to shrinking margins, we become more self-centered. We, we focus on, on our crisis, our needs, instead of thinking about the Lord's leadership and, and others. And so we see throughout Scripture that, that, that God provided buffers for us uh, in, in what he taught, uh, for example, to the nation of Israel that mandated margin. The Sabbath day, a day free from, from work uh, once, a, once a week. They were to spend time with God. They were to spend time with their families. And then another example um, would be the seventh year, where they were to work the land for six years but let it lie idle every seventh year. There was to be no planning. There was to be no sowing. And, and, and even from a financial standpoint, uh, we see that, that there is a built-in margin that God mandated, and that was with the tithe. They were not to live on 100% of their income. God knew what they were capable of, but he didn't want them to live there. Mm -hmm. And so all through scripture, we see this principle of margin that God teaches us. And and as leaders, we need to be uh, extremely careful uh, to adhere to that. I love the lesson that you're talking about and referencing about the nation of Israel. And one of those lessons was boundaries, you know, to not go, not take their crops or their harvest all the way to certain boundaries. That's right. And in doing so, they they left food for those in need. And I wonder if we were to translate that into every, to our terms as pastors now, if we actually had margin in our lives, what kind of ministry would God allow, allow with for us to have with people who are on the periphery of our lives. You know, if we're playing golf and we have some time or if we're spending time with our family, we run into people, we can actually be ministers to people uh, in those spaces that we otherwise might not see if we're working, you know, nonstop. You know, it's interesting that you also brought up tithing in the area of margin, because I think sometimes we don't think of it that way. And I heard a guy last week make this statement. He said, you know, Giving your tithes and offerings isn't about our church paying its bills. It's about you protecting your heart. Hmm. And I went, wow, that was good. 
That was awesome. And that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. The moral margin, the physical margin, the emotional margin, the financial margin, all those areas is there to boundaries. What mm-hmm. you said, Drew, mm-hmm. boundaries, man, that's good stuff. Steve, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Well, Steve, what are some ways, some maybe even practically mm-hmm. as leaders, how do we learn this and how do we get this? And what are some things that we can do to be leaders who provide margin and put margin into our lives? Well, I think what you guys are doing here is, is a great first step, and that's just raising our level of awareness that, yeah. that we do need margin. Because yes. I know, when I, especially when I was younger, with so much energy, I just felt like, just keep piling on my plate. I'll get it done. <laughs> Without giving a lot of thought to, to firm boundaries and to margin in my life, a book that we've referenced quite often in our circle of leadership, Larry, um, that you're very familiar with, I know, is Cordero's Leading on Empty. Yes. I think a great practical place to start with regard to margin is something that, that Cordero asserts in his book, and that is that as leaders, we need to focus on our top 5%. I love it. And the way he describes that is he says about 85% of the things that we do, we really could delegate. We don't think that somebody else could do it. They probably could. That's right. Then about 10% of the things we do, we could actually train somebody else to do. But there are 5% of the things that we have to do that only we can do. Only we can foster our relationship with the Lord. You can't sub that out. That's right. Only we can be a husband to our wives. There's no other man on on the planet that can do that. Only we can be a a father to our children. Only we can do that. Only we can take care of our bodies, exercise, and, and eat right, and, and do those things. So, so those would be examples of things that are in our top 5%. So with regard to margin, going back to, to what you said, Drew, we've got to establish some firm boundaries around this top 5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard it said, priority determines capacity. And so by establishing boundaries around our top 5%, we will prioritize what's most important and we'll have the capacity to do that. But where we often, I think, as leaders fail is we focus on that 85% or that 10% and we let the 5% go. Because after all, you know, we're, we're not going to be necessarily held accountable today for those things. It's, it's the important but not the urgent necessarily. Mm-hmm. So good. And so You know, Drew, we need to make a mental note here. I want us to quit inviting guests that put me under conviction. Yeah, I know. Can we do that? Stop doing that, by the way. You know, Bill Ellis did it on prayer. I know. And now he's doing it on our 5%. I'm so glad you brought up that 5% because, guys, you got to learn to say no. You got to, I mean, for the right reasons. Uh, Recently, we were driving down the highway and a pastor calls Larry, I need you to come preach a revival. And I knew I didn't have time. I knew, but I'm sitting there going, well, don't wait a minute. I could, if I switch this and I switch this and I switch that. And yeah. finally I went, no, I went, brother, I'd love to. But right now in this season, I, I just, I just can't write at this time. Yeah. I hang up the phone, Steve, and Shelby reaches over and pats me on the leg. And she goes, <laughs> I'm proud of you. I know that wasn't easy. Awesome. <laughs> we got well, a to great learn. example of guarding your boundaries, though. That's exactly, exactly what we're Exactly. And I cut you off. Was there something else you were going to say there? No, well, I would just say with regard to that, uh, one of the things that and we'll get to this a little later when we talk about discipleship in more depth, but I think it's extremely important that we as leaders establish 
uh, real good habits and spiritual disciplines yes. in our life to establish these boundaries. Uh, there, there's a quote that I often go back to by James Clear, and he says, you, you don't rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems. And our systems are made up of our habits and our disciplines. Wow. And so if, if we can practice what you just said, establishing firm boundaries, good habits, good spiritual disciplines uh, daily, that helps us create margin. And not only that, but guard that margin that we've created so that we don't lose it because it's a daily battle. I mean, you know that. Yeah, it is. And I want you to give that quote again. Give that quote again. Okay. You don't rise to the level of the goals that you set, but you fall to the level of your system. Wow. And so if you have a goal of creating margin, that's great, but you've got to establish habits and spiritual disciplines mm. that will create that margin. That's your system to yes, get you there. And so you focus on your system, the goal will take care of itself. And that's a daily battle. It is. I love battle. it. Man, that, that's good. That is good stuff right <laughs> there. So I just inject one other thing here, please, guys. Please. I think it's important with regard to margin. I know I was brought up in a pastor's home. I've never been a pastor, but I was brought up in a pastor's home where my dad, as, as the pastor, just kind of did everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you guys have been there, your pastors, many of the pastors listening can relate to that. Yes. But, but I think from a practical standpoint, if we really want to create margin and have healthy churches and healthy pastors' families, we probably need to look at a, a different leadership structure in our churches. And I, I'm a big advocate of the elder leadership structure right? because it helps shoulder the burden of, of the church in such a way that everything doesn't fall on on just one individual. And I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of that. I agree. You know, another thing that it does too, Steve, is it, it forces humility. I mean, if you're gonna if it, if you're gonna do it well, if it's gonna work, yeah. it's gonna be because men are gonna humble themselves to one another and to the Lord. Otherwise it just doesn't work. It's you, know, you can't right. have this ego fest. It's gotta be seeing the value in each other, submitting to one another. It's just a it's just a beautiful thing. Hey, we've talked a little yeah. bit, we've hinted at some conversation around discipleship. Why is that an important thing for leaders to do in the church and, and as Christian men? Yeah, it's, that's a that's a great question, and, and it's, it's almost an interesting question when you uh, study the New Testament that that we ask that, and, and I ask it all the time too. But why is discipleship so important? Well, it, it goes back, you know, really to the commission that that we've been given by yes. Jesus, and yet I think suddenly um, from culture and just basically the way that that we've been conditioned. Um, we, we asked that question, but, but really when, when Jesus gave the great commission to the church, I mean, though, that's a heavy, heavy commission. That's a heavy commandment. <laughs> yeah. So, so the first, first reason it's so important to me is because it was, it was commanded by Jesus and those were our marching orders, but, but specifically to men, uh, Drew, uh, I think that one of the things that, that we've seen in our discipleship discussions with my, my co-laborers here in our discipleship ministry is that, you know, we know if we can get the man, we're typically going to get the wife and the children because he is the head of that home. And so goes the man so often, not always, but, but most of the time, so goes the man, so goes the family. Yes. And uh, so that's the reason I think that, uh, that it is so very important that we, we focus on men mm-hmm. who should be pastors of their homes. 
Yeah. And I think sadly, I'm thinking of some specific (laughs) people, um, but sadly, I think, you know, when our men don't lead, our families are just kind of with the hands raised, kind of going, where, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's, what's important to us? What are the priorities of our family? And as men, we have to lead and we have to say, no, we're going to follow Jesus. As for me and my house, you know, we're going to serve the Lord. And I think wives are kind of asking, when is my husband going to stand up? If we're going to be the godly family we God wants us to be, the husband, the man has to lead that. It's, it's not only the scriptural precedent, but that's the way it works. That's the way God has designed it. You know, Steve, Sunday we had a man in our church give testimony. I'd asked him to because I just heard him talking about so many things. I wanted our whole church to hear it. And the thing that he shared after he got into his testimony was, and then this guy in our church walks up to me and says, hey, would you like to be discipled? And I'm like, I've been saved over 30 years. What do you mean would I like to be discipled? He goes, but you know, I had made a commitment that I was going to obey the Lord. He said, and then he began talking about the last two years journey. And it was so cool. And then he goes, and by the way, I'm ready to disciple one of you if you're interested. I love it. You know, and I'd like for you off of that, because you and I have talked about this a lot. The way you do the discipleship, if I remember right, you got five F's, right? Yeah, there are five areas. That's right. We, uh, We call it MD5, which is men's discipleship to the fifth power, if you will. And it's it's just an easy on-ramp for most men. Uh, we focus on what we call the five F's, and that's our faith, which is the core, of, of course, our family, uh, our friends, our network of people that, that uh, are around us, our finances, and our fitness. And, of course, discipleship is a lifelong journey. There's not a curriculum. But we have found that, that just focusing on these five F's right out of the gate, again, it's an easy on-ramp uh, for a lot of men. And what we do there is we try to teach them in all five areas uh, what the Bible has to teach uh, about each. And, and we really do focus on the fundamentals, as I mentioned uh, in, in the earlier podcast, because that's so very important. If we get the fundamentals, then a lot of things can take care of itself. And because discipleship is a lifelong process, it's not you know, a curriculum or it's not a one-year course. It's a lifelong pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. Once we teach the fundamentals, they're able to to hopefully keep that process going for life. Uh, But what we we really try to focus on uh, with MD5 uh, is, is not just the sharing of information. We really do focus on transformation. And here's how we try to do that. Um, we, we start the process. It's a, it's a 40-week process. Typically, we'll, we'll go through it in a year by the time they, they complete everything that we have them do. But they begin with an assessment, and it's 40-some-odd questions that, that force you to kind of look in the spiritual mirror and, and determine the man I am today. Okay, so that's what the assessment does. And it's, you know, again, that's a, that's a very sobering process to go through, but, but coming out of that, We'll have them, which is a uh, perspective on the man that they feel God is calling them to be. Well, at your, at your funeral, what do you want said? Do you what, what do you want your wife to say? What would you want your children to say? What would you want your coworkers and colleagues to say about you? So that's written in the eulogy. That's the man that, that you want to be. Then we spend a year going through the fundamentals uh, of the five F's that we talked about. And at the end of the process, we actually have them. Uh, bridge the gap by putting together what we call a life plan. 
And the life plan is made up of, of systems, like we talked about uh, before, you, going back to the quote from James Clear, where we don't, um, we don't rise to the level of our goals, but we, we fall to the level of our systems. We have then put systems in place, and those systems consist of spiritual disciplines and habits that take it from the lofty softy, the philosophical, down to the nitty-gritty of everyday life. What am I going to do today that will cause whatever I wrote in that eulogy to come to fruition at some point in the future? And then not only that, but we, we hold them accountable to the spiritual disciplines that they put in place. And so, you know, you, you know spiritual formation, which is what we're talking about, uh, spiritual formation is hard to measure. Yeah. However, the spiritual disciplines that lead to transformation are not. And so we really focus on spiritual disciplines and habits. And then as they come out of this process, it's not over. But if I were to invite, you know, uh, one of our members to lunch next year, I'm going to say, hey, bring your life plan. And we'll sit down and we'll go over those spiritual disciplines that he identified to see how's he doing on that. So it's hopefully a continual process that continues for the rest of his life. You know, if we'd have gone through two podcasts and you hadn't said the lofty softy down to the nitty gritty, I would have been so disappointed because I've heard you say it a couple of times, but it's exact. It's built on that. Exactly. It's built on that. And I love that because that's what uh, you and I have talked a lot about what y'all are doing. And uh, uh, how many, I don't even really care about the number, but what level are you to now on? Uh, uh, on producing, are, are you seeing the third generation going through this now? Fourth, what? Where are you at on that on that process, kind of? Well, we we do it in pairs, so we'll okay. have two facilitators for each cohort, and uh, and we we will start our sixth cohort oh. uh, the third week of January. That's awesome. and that's that's just my colleague and I, but but now we've got, I think we're up to uh, eight facilitators, and so we'll have. Uh, I believe it's five groups going simultaneously. So we've had over a hundred men go through the process now. And, and I think it's just, just now building a foundation of, uh, of what it could be. So, uh, you know, like Zig Ziglar used to say, Hey, do it bad. You can do it good. We're probably still doing it bad, but God is blessing it in spite of us. Certainly not because of us. But I don't want us to miss that point from the standpoint of you're just getting to where. And so how long have you been doing it approximately? Yeah, so we started this back in 2014. Wow. So six years. Yeah. I just want everybody to hear that because the idea of multiplying disciples, Mm -hmm. it takes time. Absolutely. It takes time. And to get people up and now you've got others that can facilitate and others that can do this. That's just uh, that's awesome. And and I love it. And I just want everybody listening to know, Steve, I'd love to have this conversation with you if you're interested in what this kind of discipleship could look like. I I think I'm correct on that, aren't I, that you'd love to have that conversation? Yeah, because yeah, he kind of he kind of sits up a little taller and he you can just see him get about as excited as he gets, you know, when when he starts talking discipleship. I love it. Oh, you're exactly right. Of all the things that, that we, we do in ministry, there's just nothing more fulfilling um, than discipleship. And and let me say this, guys, I know we've, we've talked about leadership and discipleship. Uh, there was a quote by Bill Hybels years ago that I go back to often. Matter of fact, he wrote a book on it, but he said, when leadership and discipleship collide, and they will in ministry, but when leadership and discipleship collide, always choose discipleship. 
because that's why we exist. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Hey, Steve, uh, before we go, what are, are there anything that you would just kind of last thoughts, anything else that you would give any of the leaders, pastors, ministry leaders that, that are listening today uh, that you would think of, whether it be leadership or discipleship, either one? Yeah, I, I would just say this, Drew. Um, it's probably been a decade ago now. Uh, I conducted an interview with a guy by the name of Sam Hershey, who was uh, one of the top leaders at the Navigators out of Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. of course, the disciple ministry. Uh, he had been with the Nav- He's been with the Navigators. He's still with them. I think he's been with them 46 years now. Wow. And his wow. focus the entire time, obviously, has been on discipleship. And I remember something that, that Sam Hershey stated in that interview I did with him, and it was this. He said, our ultimate goal, whether here in the States or, or abroad, should be for every church leader to be both a disciple and a disciple maker while leading his members to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, what he, what he said was, we should strive to build a culture of discipleship mm-hmm. in our church. And that cannot be done with a transactional leadership style focused on just meeting once per week. Transformational leadership, as we talked about, you know, in the first podcast, is really about getting people onto God's agenda. And God gave his agenda in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mm-hmm. Go make disciples. That's good stuff right Amen. there. Yes, Amen. Sir. Man, so good, Steve. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, both of these podcasts have just been wonderful. They have. I think our guys are, are going to really enjoy and be uh, – benefited from listening to these today. Uh, man, thanks so much. Listen, um, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, is there an a email that we could give? Sure. You could reach me at steve at bmaamerica.org. That's steve at bmaamerica.org. And I'd be happy to help any way that I could. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, guys, if you have uh, show ideas or questions or anything that you think we could possibly help you with, please don't hesitate to let us know. You can find us at healthychurchpodcast.com. Of course, you can always find us on Facebook as well. And uh, we appreciate you listening today to the Healthy Church Podcast. Our guest has been Dr. Steve Crowley. Steve, we appreciate you, man. Pray that you have a good weekend. Thank you, guys. You as well. You've been listening to the Healthy Church Podcast, sponsored by Activate, a church health ministry of the BMA. For more information, resources, and other related topics, please go to healthychurchpodcast.com or find us on Facebook at Healthy Church Podcast.